you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. We will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the Library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for person of interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? It's Friday, man. It's Friday. Yeah, this is the, this is the, I don't think we've ever recorded on a Friday before. No, we haven't. Usually we record on, like, Tuesdays, so the week is, like, squarely sitting on our shoulders. So maybe this will be a different energy. I don't know. How are you guys doing today? I'm uncomfortable with being asked this question. Normally nobody asks how I am. How are you, Justin? I'm good. I'm good. Good. We care. Yeah. Yes. I mean, not enough to ask, apparently, <laughs> but I'm sure we both would would agree that we care. I think we I think we had this bit in a bad pot episode like six months ago. <laughs> Sounds about right. I'm sure we have, but where it was all of this has happened before. All of this will happen again. It's just it's just cyclical narrative. Yeah, there you go. It's a predestination paradox. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Tonight we are covering episodes eight and nine of uh, season two, Till Death and COD. I did neither of these, and I don't remember who has the first one, but whoever that is, that would wild. That would be Jude based on the lack of capitalization and punctuation. Oh. Look, capital, the shift key is used only in extremists, Okay. Capitalization and punctuation are for suckers, and the English language, you got the point. All right? You understood the summary. Did I, though? Yes. I mean, I will say that the, the one thing that I will get on your ass about is um, your possessives. <laughs> <laughs> Weeks, W-E-E-K-S apostrophe. <laughs> I type fast. <laughs> So sometimes that you just got to infer from context. All right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. This episode is called till death. It is written by Amanda Siegel and directed by Helen Shaver. I will admit to being somewhat surprised. Maybe this is, I don't know. I was surprised that this episode was written and directed by women considering how fucking dumb this episode is with regards to its <laughs> central a plot. The f- the principal female character uh, in this in the female number in this plot does not do a good job of representing uh, her half, uh, or, you know, the female gender. So I think we should like say like art should not be perfectly positively representative. Let people be assholes, especially when they're numbers on the show. <laughs> That's fair. All right, this week's two numbers are the unwholesome pair of Daniel and Sabrina Drake, a publishing power couple 
who are unhappy in their marriage and can't agree on whether to sell their company. Being reasonable people, each decides to hire someone to kill the other, you know, rather than talk. Uh, Finch and Reese, after a brief distraction with a militia group red herring, figure out the situation and try to deal with the obstinate hitmen that each has hired who inexplicably refuse to take the money and walk away. They only got paid half up front. Yeah, but they don't even want to walk away with that. It's the whole like honor hitman reputation, except for the guy that Daniel hired, who apparently just really hates Sabrina and is, is doing this pro bono. He's like, your wife sucks. I'm your bro. I'm going to do this for you. Cause we're, cause we're good. I swear to God, I'm not riffing. This is an actual plot line. No, in this that's episode. an actual plot point. Yeah. Um, at the end of, at the end of the episode, the thrill of danger is apparently what these two sociopaths needed to revive their marriage. Uh, and they, they decide they will not get divorced and they will not testify against each other. So it's pretty good odds that they won't do too much time, which is fucking insane, but probably true. They're also rich. They also appear to be planning to have a kid. Yes. Uh, I, I the chose... guillotine is not enough for these people. We'll talk Salt about the, the... We will talk about that in, in the notes. I have thoughts on the... I have, I have thoughts on the inciting incident, on why oh, they decided yeah. to, to backtrack to this. Um, this week's flashback, however, is actually really good and is the only redeeming part of this episode. And that is... Uh, we see some flashbacks to Harold and Grace's courtship involving them talking about Italy. They have some espresso. They talk about Italian art. And then Harold uses his incalculable wealth to convince the Guggenheim to loan uh, her favorite Italian painting to one of their other museums so that they conveniently just happen to have it. So he can show off by being a docent and have, have her favorite painting there. Isn't, this is subtext. It's not actually said that he like leans on the museum to loan it over there. But it's pretty obvious that this is what he's done. Nathan yeah. gives him advice about the fact that all the lies with regards to their project is part of what ruined his marriage. He should be careful about the cause of lying. So Harold tries to own up to his, uh, at least some of his secrets with grace. And she very empathetically says, when it, when you need to tell me, you can tell me, but I don't need to just because, um, and that's, the episode. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll say a little bit more about the, the flashbacks. It's that for like Grace's birthday, the, what happens is like Harold sets up like this, like fun little scavenger hunt. It's fucking that eventually leads. Yeah. That eventually leads to Guggenheim where he has, where just conveniently her favorite painting of all time is now on loan, but it's yeah fairly obvious that, that, you know, Finch has, from an anonymous donor. <laughs> an anonymous donor, yeah. yeah. I really love the flashbacks. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. I do love the banter between Harold and Finch in this episode. There's uh, a pair of lines uh, at the top of this episode, uh, one in particular where Reese is complimenting Harold for his uh, <laughs> personal growth in the breaking and entering field. And Harold says, thank you for appreciating my descent into deviant behavior, which I think is an absolutely terrific line. And I feel like should kind of be like one of our manifestos on this podcast. Yeah. I love that. We also, line. We also have the doggy Danish. Yes. The doggy yeah. Danish where he's. Yeah. He's bringing. And Harold's bringing like, the you didn't treats. bring one for me. 
And John is like, this, is, this isn't for me either. It's for the dog. It, it, that dovetails quite nicely with the fact that John previously bit into a, like, doggy Danish <laughs> yeah. of some form. Okay, so I, I want to get the I know that face out of the way. Yeah. The husband of this is played by Mark Pellegrino, who I know as playing the actual devil in Supernatural. Yes. Oh, is that what you know him from? Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's what that's what I primarily know him from. I, is like, I know him as... I had no... I'd never watched any Supernatural except for like maybe two or three random episodes. I know him as uh, Dexter's girlfriend's uh, dirtbag heroin addict ex-husband in Dexter, where he looks almost identical to this role. Like, he doesn't look any different except dressed like a Florida dirtbag. So it's very jarring to watch that. For, like, a sort of, like, he does have, like, sort of, like, a very distinctive look for, like, a random white dude. Um, he he yeah. radiates like, Florida man energy. God, he does. Um, and and he does a very good job as the literal devil in Supernatural. I feel like I like I like it's memorable. It's the it's still in the first five seasons of Supernatural, so yeah. it's still good. Exactly. The um, like like my my initial reaction whenever I see this episode is Satan, Mark Pellegrino. <laughs> but uh, oh, I don't know. Holy fuck! This Cal Beecher is Sterling K. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. I did not connect that. That's the other I know this face. This episode is the introduction yeah. of uh, Sterling K. Brown, which is like the C-plot of this episode, which is the intro- uh, the hitman uh, that is hired by Daniel is arrested by uh, Cal Beecher, who is a detective that uh, is shamelessly flirting, more or less, with Carter mm-hmm. and um, is apparently... God, I can't believe it's Sterling K. Brown. He is, he looks much younger in this role and much different look for him. He's great in this though. Oh yeah, he's he's a delight. He's... Yeah. Uh, I also want to comment on the fact that Carter's bangs in this episode make it look like she has a bowl cut. Okay, I have a question for you too. In yeah. future seasons, does Carter have natural hair or is it still chemically straightened? To the best of my recollection, it is always this, the haircut she's got now is more or less what it looks like. I mean, with some variation yeah. is more or less how it looks for the whole for the whole time. Okay. Yeah, I just double checked. I I don't think they ever have her with like a like a natural hair look. Okay, cuz I was I was wondering if it was like something where the actress wanted to return to natural hair and they were having a wig on her after a big chop or something like that. It's pretty much the same look the entire t- like it, it, it's yeah. like the different hairstyles, but it's generally the same sort of look. This this is just a particularly goofy looking one that looks like a bowl <laughs> cut. Speaking of love lives, uh, there's like a D plot. I forgot how much there was going on in this episode. Yeah, uh, Fusco, Fusco has a on date, his date, which is <laughs> the best. It starts off with like Fusco's taking her to this fancy restaurant. The vibes are terrible. Um, yeah. And then like and like then Fusco this has turned off champion of a woman is just like you want to go get some falafel. Well, yeah. Well, first, first it's that Fusco's dodging their calls because yeah. he's like, I want to, I want to have this date because I never get to do anything myself. And finally they call the restaurant and he's like, we need you at a stakeout. Fusco's like, confesses the date. He's like, I know this is 
been pretty awful and but like you like i've got to go do a stakeout she's like oh i can come with you and, and that's when they go like get falafel and stuff because yeah. it's clear this woman like i do not pretend to understand <laughs> i i do not pretend to understand heterosexual women um but <laughs> but she is at defusco and maybe yeah. maybe maybe like their mutual friend talked him up because well, I mean, like Fusco is a single dad, so you know. Yeah, and Fusco is a good dude. He, if you don't know that he's crooked, Fusco has a lot of yeah. like on paper going for him. You know. Yeah. Well, and I could also. I thought it was actually a like nice tie-in with the bodyguard episode where yeah. where she was like, oh, you look my, like my uncle who's like rolling in pussy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Fusco's a good dude. Uh, I And I like yeah. that like once they, once he stopped trying so hard and just was like yeah. being Fusco, they, you know, and they, they, they hit up the, the falafel like they were totally connecting. He's got a sense of humor. Yeah, and this is, the smallest of spoilers, but I love that like this is not the last we see of her either. It's not like a, a one-off thing that the show does. They just get like she comes back again. So like I love that they let Fusco have a little bit of a life. That's very good. It's sort of funny, and we'll talk about this in like our next recorded episode, not the next episode we're covering. But like, there's some like weird. This I we we've reached a point in the show where there's like a bunch of like C and D or flashback plots where I can never remember which episode they're in because the, yeah. like this, like the middle, like the middle parts of like season two, three and f- two and three all sort of blend together for me because I haven't watched them all <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a hot minute. And I'm just like, hmm. well, see, season two is particularly bad with that because this is where it has not season one between season one and season three. There's a migration. There's a transformation of the show from, number of the week with like sprinkles of bigger things happening. And then in season two, it's number of the week with more and more important flash flashbacks and the occasional like big plot episodes. And towards the end of season two, that starts to really, that dial starts to really tilt. But in the middle of season two, you have this weird mix of like, like this episode where you've got a whole bunch of like character stuff and interesting flashbacks with these numbers of the week that are, I mean, <laughs> all over the, all over the map, forgettable. The, the thing bad. about season two is that there is that there is a specific midway point of season two. Yeah. And before that, it's a little bit hard to like, yeah, there's, and we're coming up like, on it really, really soon. Yeah. yeah it's, we're going to get to that point in basically two weeks. Yeah. yeah. But even then it's not, and it's not even relevance is it's not even just relevance. Although that we're going to start hitting a major plot in the next recorded episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. But then relevance is, is I feel like the part where the point where things really start to tip and then you get to the end of season two. And I feel like that is the point at which the showrunners sat down in a room and said, is this a procedural show? about AI or is this a show about AI that sometimes includes that is hiding under the guise of a procedural format. And they, they picked the latter starting in season three. 
And uh, in the first two seasons, they, they're still picking the first one. One thing that I do love in this episode um, is that we get the return of John being so pissed that he throws people in the trunk. <laughs> yes. Yes. I I also really appreciate that about in the middle in the ep- of the episode where they realize that both both spouses have taken out a hit on the other. They're just like, you know, we could just not do this one. Yeah. And it's, then we can, we can save a- someone else. And then, and then Harold's like, but we don't have another number. And they're like, oh, fine. Yeah. Like if, like if the machine had called in another number at that moment, these two would probably be dead. Yeah. And like the only reason that they're bothering with these two people is like, so that other people don't get hurt. Yeah. I think once you have a point where the characters are having a serious discussion about, is this worth it? I think you've sort of reached a fail state for person of interest. <laughs> yeah. Like, like they, they, they dodge it, but I think you like you, you reach a fail state of how do we keep the audience caring right. about them? Yeah. It's no, it's nowhere near as bad as the, the security guard turned. Yeah. Or, or trigger secu- man. Yeah, yeah, it's nowhere near that bad, but at the same time, it's like like we get to a point where it's like we have couples counseling and okay. Yeah, there's a it's like not every number has to be somebody good and not every number has to be somebody pure evil that you want to take out. Like there can be shades of gray there, but I think you have to be invested in the number and when the people when the people are like boring or shitty and you just don't want to care about them their about their outcome that's where the show gets into trouble and these numbers yeah. are a great example the the sort the sort of shit frosting on this cardboard cake of of a of an a plot is the um the miscarriage conversation that they have oh which yeah i think is extraordinarily ham-handed and I, I don't love it. Especially in speculative fiction, there is a there is a trope that I absolutely abhor, which is the the more fantastical version of a miscarriage, which is like characters get like drawn into like a parallel dimension or a time warp or something, where they have a kid and they lose the kid at like the end of this little episode or whatever. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and I think it's because this is like and. Stargate is guilty of that several times. Yeah. And obviously, like, this is the much more saying I calling it mundane is feels like very callous, but like this is the non-fantastical version of that. It, it where it's still the same bad feeling because I don't think I think unless you are unless you are willing to spend a significant amount of time with characters. Dropping a miscarriage plot just feels to me like a... It feels like a way to get cheap heat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's the... It's the little sister to the fridge. You know? It's a way to... To to kick up a little bit of uh, empathy f- for a character. Or to, to generate a... Uh, some... Uh, backstory for a female character. Without without killing the female character for for the 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 male character or raping the female character like yeah it's the and it's it's the mind just a little bit turned down version of those 
And uh, it, I, I dislike it just as much, even though it's theoretically turned down. I'm not trying to, I, I want to be really clear. I'm not trying to yeah. be dismissive of the trauma of a miscarriage. I know people that have had them and I know they're, they're awful. I just mean as a narrative trope, I feel like it's yeah. the less used, yeah. it's like- but equally garbage version i i think i think what it is is that it is so traumatic that dropping it into conversation i don't think that like this is as somebody who is not married and has presently no plans to have kids um but i really it's it's a trope even like as somebody who doesn't have kids that I absolutely hate because I think this episode works fine if it's just them having a bad spell. And I, and I, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe a listener will say, Hey, this is like the, that. That's what made, that's what made them redeemable to me. Yeah. I, I felt like it was the just add water version of like how to be empathetic for these two characters that we've established as nothing but horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like what's the, it's like, what's the fastest way to get people to care about them? And yeah. this was apparently what they landed on. Um, and yeah. that's what that's what feels like cheap to me. I think you're right that it aligns somewhat with like fridging and stuff like that, because it's not like it's not like the death of a loved one or a miscarriage or any of these things aren't actually traumatic. It's just that they're used cheaply in fiction. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not an earned storyline that is being you it's not like they're they're trying to tell a story about that or they're making that a an earned part of this character's backstory uh like like justin kind of said it's it's just uh it's cheap heat i think is uh yeah i am assuming this is a wrestling term but yeah it's it's the equivalent of like a, a bad guy going out and insulting a local sports team just so he can get some cheap booze to the crowd like that 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 is like Obviously, like there's differences and stuff, but like that's it has the, it feels like it has the same narrative weight as that. Yeah. yeah, it's just a way. It is a way to artificially increase your emotional response to a plot. And yeah. I feel like this one's even worse too because at before they get arrested at the end of like their discussion about the miscarriage, they're like, "Well, what if we? What if we tried again?" and it's like, okay, you you have gone from taking out hits on each other to wanting to try again for a kid in two hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is this is not this. <laughs> this is not good. You're bad people. You're bad people. Just don't. And like we're sup- and it feels like we're supposed to like end up feeling hopeful for them because they're, you know, they're not testifying against each other and they're like, they have plans for the future. And it's just like, there's not, I don't, there's no evidence that they will be any better at communicating in the future. And like, probably their future kid is going to take out hits on both of them. (laughs) Yeah. I, overall, I think that this is just one of those things that is just like, it's not great. Like, just let them be just let them be like weird people who like make a like let them be like dragged out of the safe room or like that closet that that pantry closet they're in just like grossly making out because they're like the danger brought the danger reminded us of why we love each other or something right let them yeah. just be like gross and weird 
they, as they're well, I mean, that's what they the are. These, are. these these are two people who are clearly like, I mean, they're millionaires, so they're clearly sociopaths. Like, they're yeah, they're not one of us. They are yeah. horrible people who deserve the guillotine. <laughs> yeah. So let let them be arrested and thrown in jail and go from there. Um. Yeah. Do we have anything else to say about? I this think episode? this is going to be like one of the. This is going to be like one of the weirdest entries on the. <laughs> um, do they deserve yeah. it? And do we care? Scale? Yeah. Well, and yeah. At least this episode has a lot of other fun stuff going on that, like, mm-hmm. it didn't yeah. feel like a slog the way that, like, Trigger Man, Trigger Man, or the Armored Car Dude are. Yeah, this one, this one zips along, I think, because it has these other plots around to pad it very nicely. Yeah, without the B, C, and D plots, this would be on the level of Trigger Man. I would still put it a bit above because the the couple are still like kind of fun to watch like because they're so horrible yeah they're funny at least right whereas whereas, like (laughs) yeah i will say the the way that they just like relentlessly snark and stab at each other verbally is is actually fairly entertaining that helps elevate the episode's main plot to like a c yeah it's it's overall it's like this is a very forgettable episode, but um, whenever whenever I watch it, it's like it's the combination of all the side plots that make me like, oh yeah, this one's fun. Yeah. I don't mind having I don't mind having invested, you know, forty five minutes of my life on it, right? Um, and not just skipping it. I've never I have never since my first watch through I have never said okay where did I leave off? Oh yeah, this one, and then picked it. But if I'm watching it and the remote is not literally in my hand, I will let the show continue to play through it. If it's in my hand, endorsement, if it's in my hand, I probably will, will use those like seven calories to hit the, to hit the, the next button. But if it's, if I have to actually move my arm, Nah, it's fine. I'll let it go. The the one thing the one thing from this episode that has aged like uncomfortably well is the uh the right wing nut jobs going after the children's book. Oh yeah, no, that was like I'm like I can't imagine that being a thing still. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh all right. Let's move on. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so next episode is COD, written by Ray. Oh my fucking god, how I believe that's Utarnicht. Utar Ray Ray Utarnicht and directed by Clark Johnson. I this was one of those things where I was like very confident that whenever I got there I would be able to pronounce it and then I read it and was just like, Nope. Um, so apologies to to Ray. You're not gonna try again? No, I'm not gonna try again. <laughs> Uh, so this week's episode, uh, so this week's number is a Cuban man named Furman Ordonez, who originally came to the U.S. to play baseball, but was injured and now makes a living as a cab driver. He's trying to save up the cash to bring his family to the U.S. from Cuba, but it's getting screwed by the mobster organizing their travels. Uh, he has the agreed upon money for both people, uh, his wife and his son, but now he's told that it's only enough for one of them and he must... Uh, either choose between them or find more cash. 
These troubles lead to him selling a laptop that a customer left in his car after the man stiffed him on a big fare and vanished. This, in turn, sets him up to need rescuing by Reese and Finch. The laptop belonged to a Russian hacker and has valuable national security information on it, uh, and the Estonian mob now want to get their hands on it. Finch tracks the laptop to another hacker named, and this pains me deeply, Demon 8, spelled with a three. They defeat Instead of the E. Yep. So D3MN8. We all hate this. Uh, they God, defeat remember, I think it's delightfully charming. <laughs> remember when Leet Speak was like, I mean, not that it was ever a thing that was not ridiculous, but it was a thing that like Hollywood thought wasn't ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. When, when people thought that like actual hackers did things like that. They thought <sighs> that hackers talked like their teenage children. I'm going to, I'm going to stop all comments here about the film Hackers. Uh, that film is unironically fantastic, and I don't. I'm not interested in hearing your your dissenting opinions. <laughs> I haven't seen it actually. Shut the fuck up! Are you kidding me right now? This is this is why I never. T- this is why I never admit to not seeing movies that Jude gets up a certain volume on. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Because right I know now. we'll never it. finish the episode now. I will watch it at some point and tell you about it that you have to tell me when you're watching it because that film is fucking bananas all right all right, all right. and anyway it let's continue with keyboards this too let's let's continue with this uh with this episode summary before we get too derailed so our boys defeat the estonians and retrieve the laptop and uh Furman is rewarded for his help in both matters by the secret service who help him bring his family to the u.s fusco meanwhile is continuing to be hassled by Simmons in the B-plot. Simmons and HR have a plan to rebuild HR by teaming up with Elias. Elias agrees on the condition that HR takes out the last surviving mafia don, Don Griffoni. Fusco and another HR member go to Griffoni's safe house, but find out that they were set up. Griffoni's men uh, shoot the other HR dude and send Fusco back with a message from Elias. Go to hell. The episode closes with Simmons giving Carter an anonymous tip that Davidson uh, was murdered by another cop, although he doesn't directly implicate Fusco yet. And that's the episode. Yep. I, I enjoyed this one. I, I felt like the for, for a kind of like reasonably generic number plot, I, I actually really liked the number that he's he's like a charming, nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was forgettable but not bad in the sense that like again this is another yeah. one that i i would never pick out to watch but i would certainly not i i like i enjoy when i do watch it all the hacker stuff is so ridiculous though it's actually fairly entertaining um <laughs> but there's uh the all the the stuff with i love that elias is just like just screwing with HR. Like HR is this big, scary thing to like Carter and uh, to a lesser degree, Finch and Reese. And Elias is just like, <laughs> poke. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he just could not respect HR less. Yeah. And this, this also has some like nice little scenes thrown in, like uh, the scene with Finch in the cab um, when he's talking to our number is quite nice. And, and it's a nice introduction to Furman as well. Mm hmm. 
um, as he as like Finch asks him. You know, they're, they're talking about like how he, you know he sees lots and lots and lots of people as a cab driver, and Finch is like, "So what do you make of me?" And he and the dude actually like does a pretty good guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I I think one thing that works for this episode is I one the combination of uh, Fairman's actor who's very good um, in like in making him like a pretty sympathetic guy and there's just enough of like a little twist on the formula mm-hmm. to make it like to make uh, to make it like a little bit of a fun little thing because there's for the most part the, the problem isn't figuring out who is the threat it's getting into the thing and it becomes more of like an action thriller than an investigative right. one yeah i also love that everything like everything ends fairly happily ever after for Fremen yeah. and his family yeah. um that we've got so many numbers who end up being rescued but have to like abandon their previous lives yeah the, or uh, like go the, into the, hiding or the, what, what, uh, what, what did i call it i was talking to a friend of mine about this a couple of years ago i was talking about this show and we were joking about the uh uh, the the Finch packet, where he's just like, here's, congratulations, we saved your life. Now now you have to burn it down. Here is a new life and a couple and a couple grand. Fuck off, like yeah. And it's it's nice to see a like a nice charming number like go on to live happily ever after. Yeah, yeah. They do a nice job of establishing in the early part of the episode that 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 sympathy for him with that awkward as hell encounter with his old teammate and then yeah. the encounter with the um oh smuggler. I, have, I like, have a beef with that scene. Please do tell. So Finch is on the Finch is like briefing Reese. And he says, like, he's talking about the the old the friend of his who, who defected with him from Cuba. And he says, Acosta plays for New York. <laughs> and I'm sorry. The most notable thing about New York baseball is there are two teams. <laughs> it's like, which one? Granted, from the way Acosta looks, I would probably bet he's he plays for the Yankees. But this is, yeah. this is one of those things that, like, I'm like... How do you not this this is one of those like little bugbear things that are like And we've established that Finch is a baseball person. Yes. Like like Finch is quoting stats that are like 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 when Finch is like quoting stats in there, he's like talking about like OPS. And I'm like, okay. That means that Finch is at least on my nerd level when it comes to baseball or my former nerd level when I cared about baseball. Um, and like, it's no surprise though, that Finch is like a money ball brain. Oh yeah. Kind of I person. love that. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's a, it's a, it's a great little, it's a great little poll. Um, but like, but like even I, who know, who knows essentially nothing about baseball other than that, like they play it on deep space nine and that rotational gravity would make a ball fly differently. <laughs> also that, um, <laughs> I know that there are two teams in New York. I know the thing I know about New York baseball is that there are, it's not just that there are two teams in New York, but that if you live in New York, especially if you are in fact a New Yorker, 
you don't just like it's not just that there are two teams, but it matters which team is yes. your New York team. There there are there are definite cultural associations with which team he supports. So the fact that he just I mean, I'm sure for legal reasons they had to just say New York, but it does it's 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 interesting that you call that out because it is one of those things where it uh it doesn't break the suspension of disbelief, but it's like it, it sort of taps at the glass a little bit of the fourth yeah. wall. And yeah. it's just like, it's ding, one ding, of those ding. things. It's one of those things where it's like, where is the scene where he like earlier in the scene where he is quoting stats and he says he plays for New York. It's just like, it's two things. Like, I know how this goes. You can just say the Mets. You don't, there's nothing legal about it. You, it's a fictional world. You can say he plays for the Mets or the Yankees. Yeah. Um, it's just a weird choice. And this is just one of those things that I'm like, well, maybe, maybe in this version of reality, there's only one New York team. No, because they mention them. Yeah, like both are mentioned. Right. Yep. All right. Um, in like the pre, in like the very last episode, right? Yeah, the I one before this, they yeah. talk about baseball at some point. I, I think maybe they're all blurring together. Yeah, like at some point they talk about it, but like, and it's just like it's one of those things where I'm just like. It's where I know enough that this is a thing that it's like, it's a gun thing. It's a, it, it's like, it's on a level of a gun thing where it's like, this is such a specific thing that I can't help but notice it. Yeah. 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 There are, yeah. And this, like I said, it doesn't and, break the fourth wall. It just taps on the glass a little bit and gets your attention. Actually, yeah. actually, I kind of wonder whether, whether that was a different kind of flub, which is, I wonder if it was supposed to go. He came to play in New York, not for New York. Because mm. that would work. Maybe. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Like, he came to play in New York. You wouldn't have to specify which team. Yeah, and he's visiting. Then. Yeah. That makes sense. So the first time I watched through this, it was, uh, it ended up not going the way I expected because I was convinced that the laptop had something to do with the machine. Mm. Um that it was like you know sort of like the the drive that John and Kara were like receiving you know retrieving slash destroying in China um yeah that I was like oh this laptop's a a machine thing but no thankfully the machine is not stored on alienware <laughs> <laughs> oh god that would be so uh, that would be awful that's the one thing that makes me laugh about this episode every time is seeing the little alienware logo on the laptop yeah I love it. I love my notes here. I'm like because I, I I do stream of consciousness stuff when I'm not when I when I'm not doing the summary. I'm like, oh hey, menacing Russians. Apologies to the nation of Estonia. <laughs> 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 like then I wrote like two minutes later. I'm like, oh wait. Uh, also, there is a fantastic moment in this episode that that is one of my I think one of my seminal Gerald moments. <laughs> Which is like after a fight, John calls Harold and he says, "Are you there?" And Harold says, "Always, Mister Grease." And it's just like the the del- the 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 delivery of both of the lines is just so good. Yeah, and I'm just like yeah, <clears throat> so, yeah. the feelings. Yep. Yep. All right. And we're about uh, we're about to roll into more Gerald feelings with the next episode too. Yeah, yeah. Tr- 
trying to remember real quick. Is there anybody? Is there any faces that we know from the cab driver episode? Um, Nobody noteworthy, I don't think. I'm trying to remember. Is this the first time that we see the machine put together its little like conspiracy board on I on think the TV? It might be. I think it might be where the machine where we're seeing the like information and connections the machine has and makes directly. Yeah, I think it might be because I don't remember ever seeing it before. Because it's pretty um, effective. It's one of my favorite effects. Yeah. Yeah. They're eventually going to like refine and keep doing it. And I love it. It's great. Mm -hmm. Along with that, we also have some machine view on uh, Fusco and Griffoni. When, um, when Fusco's in the car at the, the skate, the stakeout to like take out Griffoni with the, the other dude from HR. Um, And we get little machine pop-ups for Mm -hmm. each of them. Um, yeah, predicting can, the you, probability of violence. Yeah, there, you're go. We're that's going to keep evolving through this, which I love. Yeah, and the machine there lists lists uh, Fusco as an asset. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay, so I did know this. Michael Irby, who um, is uh, plays Fairman, plays a UN admiral in the Expanse. <laughs> Okie dokie. That, I'm nice. like, I knew, I, like I knew there was a point where I'm like I knew him from somewhere, and nice. bit of a uh, bit of a deep dig, but all right. Yeah, he, he he appears in half a dozen episodes of The Expanse. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Um. Anything else I want to talk about with this one? I'm good. Don't think all so. Right. Well, one one thing from the first episode that I forgot to mention, which is the uh, the Moby track at the end of the episode was like major nostalgia for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did a really nice job of like matching, matching the music to the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we, we could mention how good the music is every time it happens in this show and it still would not be enough. You just, it's one of the things in this show that it's, it's hard to emphasize how good it is without actually experiencing it. It's just terrific. It's just terrific. The, whoever did the music for this show I don't know if they ever won an award, but if they didn't, they were fucking robbed because it's so on point. All right. So that is all we have for this week. Next time, we are going to be doing episodes 10 and 11 of season two, Shadowbox and 2 Pi R. Until next time, be The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. I forgot to check for that one. Uh, Aaron can cut this all out. No, fuck.